1: We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. So, uh, hey guys, uh, I welcome you on to uh, to episode 16 of Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. So, uh, really excited to bring everybody uh, another round of special guests today. I'll uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourself uh, if you'd like.
2: My name is Lee Betty. I'm the director of marketing with the Allen Company.
3: Yeah, this is Jake Randall. I'm the digital content manager here at Allen Company.
4: This is Corey with Harvest in Nature. Excited to talk to the guys from
1: Allen. So uh, you guys have been working with Corey uh, for a little while off and on, correct?
3: Yeah, I think uh, Corey's been part of the hunt team with Allen for quite a while now. I've only been with Allen a little over a year. Um, So I worked with our uh, previous social media guy and, and I got introduced to Corey and start developing a relationship from there
4: it's been great working with jake uh putting together articles and 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 getting some of the allen gear and using it in the field um i had a bunch of the gear with me when i i got the turkey a couple weekends ago and um i think it's i think i've been on the hunt team for two years or so maybe a little bit longer than that
2: and that's fantastic Corey. we we really appreciate that you know for us, the hunt team is, uh, it's a great way for us to have kind of a you know, network of ambassadors of, of our product line and they're good stewards of the natural resources that are out there that allow us to be so much more effective because we can't do everything from home and kind of a limited staff and a limited number of us. So uh, we really appreciate your guys' efforts. And uh, sometimes, <laughs> we we love being uh audience to your adventures just as much as everyone else does so thanks so much for doing that for us we really appreciate that
4: my pleasure
1: we uh we kind of operate on the same as as we we have a good uh we have a good group of uh field staff writers that that write and contribute uh video and film for us and uh, i i agree with you uh it's nice to sit back and sometimes just, uh, live vicariously through everyone, through their, their hunting and fishing stories. And, uh, it, it creates some neat opportunities.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and for me as, as a user, I'm always sitting there, I'm a watcher, man. I'm a learner. I always, my eyes and ears open. You can, you never know enough. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you always just need to be in a kind of a learning mindset and trying new ways of doing things. So, I'll sit there and like quietly stalk you guys uh, socially, or you know, watching you on YouTube or listening to your podcasts, and uh, really listening close for little tidbits and, and helpful things to help me be more successful.
1: Well, that's good. That's that's definitely one of our main motivators behind what we do. Uh, we hope that everybody enjoys the content we're putting out. Uh, sometimes our mistakes is everybody else's chance to learn. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. One thing we like to do whenever we have guests on, um, I, I like to kind of get to know and talk to you guys a little bit uh, before we we dive too far in the nitty gritty. I definitely want to talk about uh, uh, Allen Company and stuff and some of your products and you know what uh, whatever topics you guys want to move to. But first, I want to kind of give our listeners an idea of who they're talking to, uh, kind of your backgrounds, all that. Maybe not quite as structured as you'd think, but just, just a little more uh, in conversation. So I uh, understand both of you guys, you live in, in Colorado?
2: That's correct, yes.
1: And uh, you guys are pretty avid outdoorsmen, I'm guessing?
2: Uh, you know, I, I try to be. Yeah, that's what I was going to say.
3: Sometimes
2: work gets in the way, right? So you're, you're not quite as avid as you think sometimes. Uh,
1: I agree with you a hundred percent. I think, what was it? We, uh, several episodes ago we were talking with somebody and they were like, I make a, a continuous effort to get in the outdoors. And, uh, I was like, well, you know what? That's the, that to me is the accepting factor. Like if, if you're actively continue actively and continually trying to get out, um, I mean, there, there's things in life that often prevent us from doing that, but, um, having creating those opportunities, if you don't try, it's never going to materialize sure so being in Colorado um you guys get much into uh the big game out there uh no it's it's a hot spot for elk and uh mule deer I believe
2: yeah I I can uh kind of go up first uh you bet I personally I guess maybe I'll start in with the background thing a little bit um with me so in terms of hunting, yeah, I've been hunting since I was a, a sophomore or a junior in high school, really. So uh, I'm getting to be kind of an old dude. So that's a long time. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say thirty plus years and leave it at that. And um, <laughs> I'm one of those people that started out hunting hard. And as young guys, we all had this kind of badge of honor on our sleeve that it was about uh you know if you hunt really hard and you run over the the next nearest mountain then um, somehow you were better and you were going to see more elk or whatever it was you were chasing and so i'd like to think that as i've gotten older that uh, i've learned to be much much more patient hunt smarter you know wow do i glass a lot harder and uh, try to put a lot more time in preparation in advance of the season instead of just lacing up your boots hard and uh just going at it Uh, so it started out was started out kind of a bow hunter guy and was bow hunting exclusively big game stuff we lived in the uh, in oregon on the in the coast range and so it was blacktails and roosevelt elk for a long time and um, we moved from there to montana a little later in life and uh that's when i understood and appreciated what just smoke and big game hunting looked like and it didn't matter <laughs> when you're in montana it doesn't matter what you are chasing uh from pronghorn to to muleys to you know whitetails are kind of an undiscovered blessing there to just monster uh, elk or black bears and that kind of stuff even cats they have a reputation for really big cats in montana mm-hmm. It just Wow, everything there was, oh my God, that first year we lived there. And uh, so did a lot of hunting there, but it was much different uh, in transition, much more so into rifle hunting there, but still carried the bow a lot. And then now, today, being in Colorado, it's just more about whatever it takes to get a tag. So I hunt just as much with a bow as I do with a long gun, Is I'll pick up the smoke pool too, and it's just, whatever tags are available, you know, for where I wanna be, when I wanna be there, then that kinda dictates the weapon. And I think as a hunter, it makes you a much better hunter because I like to think of myself when I'm out there in the woods as, um, I'm bow hunting with a rifle or I'm bow hunting with a muzzleloader. So you understand about controlling your scent or getting in close or being patient maybe, or it's just watching the mannerisms of an animal or the herd and stuff like that. And so, uh, when it comes to, to the hunting thing, I guess I would say for me is that I'm a uh, kind of in anything and everything and whatever it ta- weapon it takes, but, uh, certainly elk for me are by far and away the, the, uh, premier thing that, that I love to hunt. So we're, uh, we're fortunate in a state like Colorado where we've we've got uh, like 280,000 in our elk herd almost twice as many as the next state behind us and so there's always a lot of uh, great great elk opportunity here so great place to be and uh, we just we love it.
1: I've seen uh, Colorado starting to get definite a lot of attention uh, in state and out-of-state hunters uh, wanting to come and and try and there's been a because the growing popularity has led to a lot of changes in, in regulation recently, and there's been discussion of changing up the draw and, and how they're going to do it in the future. Um, do, you, do you have any predictions to see which way that's going to go, if if it's going to be more or less friendly to non-residents or residents?
2: Um, well, they already have made some changes. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago that was. Maybe that was four. Uh, where they kind of consolidated basically parks and wildlife so that the your outdoor-based recreation was included in under that umbrella, because in our state, and I'm sure like many states, hunters and fishermen are the ones that generate the revenue, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's hard not for other competing entities to see that budget and wanting to tap into it. So that was one of the things that has changed here, and because It would just once you get a taste of that Revenue it's hard to walk away from it. So are they going to open up more opportunities to non-residents? Why wouldn't you absolutely without too much of a detriment to the herd or the experience? Yeah Uh, And then they did this year It's new we've got a kind of a secondary draw that is something brand new that's uh, mostly Replacing our um, kind of our uh, leftover tag pool, and so that's something that's a little new and a little unique, and all of that, as well as the restructuring, you know, changing up a tag allotment like that does increase more opportunity for non-residents as well as the residents. Hopefully, it uh, helps us also, um, you know, recruit more more people that are maybe the minority based they're females, uh, they are, and especially younger people. And a big part of that second chance draw that's new this year is there is a big priority that's given the youth tag. So all of that stuff's fantastic. Um, I would imagine that it does open up more non-resident tags and whether you like it or not, it's just the way that it is. And so I would say, well, if, if you don't love it, and go check out our, our neighbors to the north in Wyoming or go check out a Montana or something like that. There are always other states to go. Oh, by.
1: yeah. There's yeah. a lot of diversity amongst the, the types of drawings. We, we talked about that, uh, our episode, actually, we just we just released today. Um, we talked a lot sort of looking at the analytics of how to choose and where to go, and, and one of our, our portions of conversation was focused on what type of uh, regulations or what type of drawing you're looking at uh, going into it. So, um, I I recently put in for the uh Kentucky elk drawing, and there ninety percent of their tags go to Kentucky residents, and only ten percent are allotted. Uh, I guess through through whatever math they use, um, only ten percent are given to non-residents, which is interesting. I mean, it's not bad. You you pay ten dollars for entry into the the drawing, uh, and that goes to conservation regardless. So it's, uh, kind of doing your fair share in the great state of Kentucky, I guess, if (laughs) if you don't draw. (laughs)
2: That's nice. That's nice. So, uh,
1: well, needless to say too, I, I made my contribution this year and, uh, I won't be going to Kentucky for a visit,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but we appreciate your donations. So thank you very much. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Jake, you want to tell us a little bit about your background?
3: Sure. Yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, participating in a lot of hunting with my family and then fishing, of course. I think now I'm the only one without a boat out of all my friends, so it's time to step up and get one of those. But uh, just through, a, through my previous uh, life, I guess, I was more into sport shooting. So now, now that I'm with Alan, it's kind of reel back the, the sport shooting and, and dedicate more time to you know, the big game. Uh, and the opportunities that we have here in Colorado for that stuff I've got all the gear, I've got everything to do it go muzzle loader, you know, whatever I just need to mark the time on the calendar take the time off and, and do it so that's, that's definitely a goal
1: uh, I would imagine working for an outdoor company find some good excuses to be like, Oh, we need to go field test some of this gear uh this week, so uh can I take a couple extra days off? <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, seeing Lee into Archery uh quite a bit just wanting me to, to you know, restring the bow and, and get that going, so
1: What's good. I, I uh grew up art- archery hunting some but definitely um The more I talk to people who are, who enjoy it, the more it draws me into, uh, into wanting to participate in that, in that aspect more. Uh, and, and as you said, Lee, sort of widening the opportunity to go hunting here, uh, Florida, South Florida is not, not an ideal spot for whitetail. Like there's, there's. (laughs) populations here but if you want to get out and put boots on the ground you got to try to plan to get out as much as possible so taking advantage of all the seasons is is pretty key
2: yeah sure you know it's one of those things too i would say if um i don't know if you live in florida do you do you fly fish at all uh, saltwater fly fish
1: i do a little bit yeah i have i have in past more when i was living on the west coast here uh not quite as much i I uh, I'm like Jake. All my friends have boats. I don't necessarily have one, so getting out on the flats sometimes is a is a little more challenging.
2: Sure. What you know? What what I think of for me, I think that one of the big things that people don't probably kind of appreciate, and I know I didn't early on, was that it's pretty therapeutic. It mm. is. It is calming. You shoot a long gun, and I mean, good golly, that thing's just beating the hell out of you, and it's really loud. Normally, you're in maybe you're some kind of an enclosed space. It's at least got a roof on it, and there's other loud whams going off. And when you're shooting a bow or you're, say, you're casting a fly rod, it just it's really quiet. It's kind of therapeutic. It's a little corny, but you know there is a little bit of this Zen kind of quality about it as you're shooting and, and doing it, and. It's, it's just relaxing and calming, and it's, uh, it can be actually a nice way to blow off steam at the end of the day, believe it or not.
4: I, I always find myself getting frustrated while fly fishing because I I spend more time getting myself out of the branches behind me than actually fishing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's just the casting part, I meant, not not actually a good fly <laughs> presentation at a really still pond. I just meant <laughs> casting it. That's all <laughs>
1: I was watching this Patagonia film the other day, and they were talking with this uh, Italian gentleman, uh, who he hand ties his own flies. He uses a uh, just kind of like a, a pole with no reel, with a hand braided horsehair line on his, uh, and then ties his flies and just fly fishes up in the mountains in Italy. And uh, his his sort of quote for it was is that it requires just enough attention that you have to focus slightly but once you kind of get your rhythm down then you just you just sort of let everything else go and just kind of zone in on what you're doing and uh, I I think it's a an accurate description of fly fishing and and what I definitely believe to be a, a good description of um, of archery as well um, from what I hear and I, I definitely felt some some of the therapeutic I set up a little. Uh, one of the 3D targets down in my garage a couple weeks ago, and, and been taking my daughter down there and getting on her on the on the one of the smaller bows, and then just shooting some with my compound bow. And yeah, it was nice, you know. Uh, like you said, it was it was quiet, and just kind of got to sling some arrows and and blow off a little steam. So we'll see. It may uh, develop into a full fledged <laughs> hobby here quickly.
2: <laughs> That's neat. That's neat.
1: Definitely having a lot of opportunity to hunt in Colorado. Do you guys venture much outside the state to go? I,
2: I try to, uh, you know, since we lived in Montana for a period of time and I've tasted Montana, uh, you know, I, I, I go back every maybe like third or fourth year. Um, and for me, I just try to, I kind of keep on a rotation between Colorado, Wyoming and Montana last year i was pretty lucky it was just the way it worked out with tags and and timing and seasons and stuff but uh i drew a a pretty fair pronghorn tag in wyoming and a a muley tag up uh, north end of the breaks and then a uh, you know four season tag here in state and was fortunate enough you know after i drew all those i was like man that'd be pretty cool if i can actually fill all of those tags three different species, three different states, and, you know, they're all DIY or public land kind of uh, trips, Mm -hmm. and so uh, there were probably a a few periods of time last year where Jake was shaking his head or or kind of cursing at me under his breath because I was gone, and (laughs) I had driven up to Montana or I was in Wyoming or Colorado, and uh, those were all just fantastic trips. Ended up uh, pretty good pronghorn in a my best bull ever uh, late season and then just a kind of a tag filler uh, of a whitetail in the breaks there just I it was late uh, I would already missed a pretty good one once and I just felt like you know it's it's very remote up there and I just felt like that little that little voice in the back of your head that's telling you you know this was a cool adventure but boy you are just way way out here for any little thing to happen and so kind of felt like I should just Settle up and be be thankful and gracious for what I had and uh, fill that tag and get the heck out of there and get back on the interstate headed home so uh, <laughs> great great three states great trips and uh, i love I love hitting all of them and they all uh, all of these states have different perks different pluses and minuses are good for this thing, not good for this thing, but that's that's the beauty of just kind of keeping a a blended uh, you know of tags from different states in front of you as you can just continue to pick and choose and kind of manipulate what you like to do how you like to do it and hopefully your timing is about right in terms of preference points and stuff like that so yeah I, I try and hit as, as many of those as I can.
1: I think it's, it's definitely something I'm, I'm starting to take a little more serious is, is pay attention to the drawings and uh, we had a one of my closest hunting buddies, AJ and I had a big discussion last year about preference points and, you know, Wyoming has the opportunity at the end of the season, you can buy a, a point um, and all that and just sort of starting to look a little more long-term. And so we're starting, we, we've got kids and stuff. So starting to plan a little forward as, as we look ahead into, into the next five, 10 years and want to get more serious and, and, and grow our, our hunting experiences. So really, I think dialing in and saying, Hey, what States can we go for? What animals, you know, I may not be drawing this year, but five years from now, I may have enough preference points to draw an area and a species that I want that it wouldn't normally happen. So,
2: yeah. And that, you know, the key is it's kind of like, let in, me say investing in stocks or whatever, I don't you, you just, you gotta start somewhere. And mm-hmm. with, with, uh, hunting out a state. You know, when I was really young and growing up, I thought I I was afraid of it. Now I kind of embrace it because I'm like, what do you have to lose? You know, their hunting can be better in that state than it is in this state. And it really is, you're investing time. There's a little bit more money there, but you're investing time. That's the resource you give up. But you got to pay your dues. you got to invest that time in order to learn and gain more knowledge so that when your number comes up, you are more successful and so you you just got to kind of cut your teeth on it somewhere and go
1: when i think too if you draw and you know you don't harvest you you walk away with a good experience and and a learning lesson you just kind of dust yourself off and get back out there again for the next year and you know uh, lessons learned like for us this is going into um, my third year of hunting in wyoming and aj's fifth year And you know we're looking at it's some some good areas for for good quality trophy sized pronghorn, as well as like we're gonna head up into the mountains for for mule deer. And it's just like it's the the times come for us to we've we've spun the same circuit of public lands and been successful and you know harvested does and smaller bucks. And it's like all right, well now let's let's up our game, let's increase our ante a little bit. So uh, that's that's sort of our plan for this year. But like you said, it, if we hadn't started five years ago with our first hunt we, we never would have known
2: yeah it's exciting I and I, I love hearing stories like that you know we're, we're all kind of trying to do the same thing uh, and really approaching it the same way uh, and it's good for all of us that we all have good experiences and uh, things work out and we spread the word and it's just it's good for uh, it's good for good for game management. it's good back to the budget thing for those states, uh, and it's great for uh, recruitment retention spending when it comes to the industry and the wholeness and health of the industry as well.
1: Mm-hmm. which i I think I think that being another crucial piece is like one of our key key messages is is don't be afraid to get out there, but too, even if you get out there, good or bad, like share your story. You know, as we talked about the first of the podcast here, like, you know, lessons learned from us and, and lessons learned by us sort of help everybody. And I think um, in the, the day and age that we live in with the ability to connect with people via technology, like every hunter can do that. Every angler can do that, can share and enjoy and each other's successes and, you know, pat each other on the back and say, all right, next time you know, get after him a little harder or when I did it, here's what happened to me and let's grow together. And, you know, hopefully that breeds for more retention and more introduction into, into the sports. I hope. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So, uh, so Jake, uh, how about yourself? You, you hunt much outside of Colorado?
3: Haven't really had the opportunity much. Uh, would love to get out to Eastern Nebraska and, uh, hopefully fill the freezer with some whitetail so i've had some out of there and and yeah i think I, I prefer the taste of the meat coming out you know the farm fields that they they feed on more so than the muleys that we have up here maybe just probably because i've eaten so much of it uh over my life but uh yeah that's that's definitely on the list
1: i'm a am I'm, I'm with you i'm a southeastern oklahoma born and raised so a lot of good premium farm-fed whitetail out there, and I, I think that, <laughs> that flavor's just amazing.
3: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's better than the best cut of beef. So.
1: Yeah, that that's what's filling my freezer.
4: Several whitetails, all probably corn-fed.
1: And uh, that delicious turkey, Jake, that you took a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Corey self-dubbed himself the turkey slayer uh last week <laughs> he's, nice. he's the he's the only one on the crew that's gotten a gotten a nice bird this year so uh i think it was well earned if you guys saw the instagram story today is just Corey's just getting inundated by snow in the middle of this uh woods
2: <laughs> that's awesome i was listening to it on your your other podcast and i thought boy that's that's a guy I'd like to go hunting with. Mountain biking for turkeys—that sounds like something kind of out there that I would do. Right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I had to push myself out of my comfort zone, but managed to do it. I, I, I did complain, but I did manage
1: to do it.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Just the way that the complaining—just a way to release the stress. It's either good stress or bad stress. Either way, you got to complain <laughs> to let go of it. Sometimes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, so, looking at this year for you guys, uh, any plans for the the fall season?
2: Yeah, you know, in in my case, uh, want to kind of give a little nod to the gods, and so since things went so well last year, uh, just going to kind of stay in state and depend what uh, depends what I draw. I, I should draw that four season tag again, um, and then uh, I'll kind of bow hunt and you can get a cow tags here for a general archery season so those are those are probably the two tags i'll be chasing uh, pretty hard the rest of the stuff is just uh, kind of settling up and continuing to bank up some points so we'll we'll see how those things work out
1: nice how about you jake any any plans for the fall
3: uh definitely going to be getting on some waterfowl hoping to have the the shotgun back by then, and uh, it's in getting some some work done, some upgrades. So, oh nice. Hopefully, uh, make me a little bit more lucky, and yeah, just looking forward to that.
1: So you uh, yep. you lean towards duck or geese, or, or no no preference either way. No preference. It's good. They both taste yep. delicious. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> now, Jake, just just a reminder here. There's a uh, very up-and-coming, uh, strong and, and virile black lab that, that lives with us. That uh, He's been out a few times, and uh, he, he would love the work. He's a big, beautiful American lab that's he's probably about 102 pounds. He's a bit of a brute, but he's a go-getter.
3: Nice. Yeah, we'll take him out. <laughs> Waterfowl is a little easier for me. So family's got some... Land up here in, in Colorado, so it's just easy to go out there and you know sit there in the in the house and watch football, and on the commercials go outside and, and watch for geese coming over. So cause there's a lake <laughs> up above us. So. Nice.
1: I like that strategy. It sounds sounds more comfortable than going sit in the field all day. <laughs> yeah,
3: freezing in a in a blind. Yeah, I'll take it either way.
1: Um, well, since we're talking about delicious, uh, waterfowl, um, you guys have, uh, some favorite recipes or anything, uh, waterfowl or big game or otherwise, you know, we, we definitely talk a lot about cooking on here. So, uh, we're bound to end up on that subject.
2: Jake, you should probably lead us off because you're going to have a higher wow factor than I am.
1: <laughs> I would uh, I wouldn't say
3: so, but uh, I, waterfowl has been tough. Although uh, a friend of mine had come up, he, he put together a, a goose sausage recipe that was amazing. You couldn't even you couldn't even tell it was goose. I was I was shocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward. That's one of the things uh, I'm looking forward to to putting together. So mm-hmm. Lee was kind enough to share a few pounds of some ground elk. Uh, one of his last ones with me, and we made an amazing uh, blue cheese meatloaf with
2: it.
1: Ooh, blue cheese! All right, so you got my you have my attention
2: here with this blue cheese <laughs> but, meatloaf. Took a second for that to register. I was like, yeah. "Wait a minute!
1: Can <laughs> can you walk us through this blue cheese meatloaf?"
2: Yeah, I
3: mean, well, if you're into it, you can you know use the strong stuff, go for like gorgonzola or something, and uh, just mix it in to the meatloaf, as you would, I mean, leave it in big chunks, and it uh, the flavor kind of dissipates through the meat, and it, it doesn't leave this like sharp blue cheese flavor. Just everything kind of mellows out, and it I don't know, it just adds like a whole another layer to it.
1: Is it is it similar to like when you get a blue cheese burger, or less uh, less profound a flavor? Like it mixes well in.
3: Yeah, I would say less profound. I mean, I always just mix it in. I don't have it really sitting on top, mm. so it just it melts and blends in with with the meat, and uh, it do gives it a whole other just flavor.
1: So. Hmm. Do you use a, a like a traditional know, tomato sauce on top, or brown gravy, or or what's your the topping on the the meatloaf?
3: Depends on what I'm feeling like. I'll do sometimes. I'll just throw on some barbecue sauce. Sometimes it's ketchup. Sometimes I'll make a, a homemade gravy. Uh, it all depends on what I'm feeling and, and how much energy I have, so
1: Oh man, I'm really intrigued. I'm gonna have to try this now. I have <laughs> I s I still have some, some ground antelope. I don't know the blue cheese may be a little sharp for the antelope, but uh I still got I have some venison. Uh nice. I to give it a go. Ooh.
4: Yeah, I agree. I, I think I'll have to try that as well.
1: How about you, Lee? Any uh any good recommendations for, for recipes?
2: No. Justin, you guys promised me we weren't really recording, right? This might thing might be flashing red and it says recording, but nobody's really hearing this, right? In case I give out my, my <laughs> super secret meatball recipe.
1: It's <laughs> up to you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it is. Uh, it's a bit germane and and uh, a little uh, kind of low speed, but I, I, I do think the meatballs are my. My favorite in terms of the wild game of stuff I tend to make is pretty pretty utilitarian from the chilies to the stews to uh, the meatloafs, or, you know, elk make a great burger, uh, poppers of different kinds, depending on whether you have steak or ground or, you know, do the roast thing. But meatballs for me and the the, the trick for me is to, you know, you got to. You, you you have to kind of sear them well as you're pan frying them a little bit of a little bit of oil there in the pan with whatever your concoction is that you know that you ball together and then once that thing hits the crock pot the the secret shh, the secret here <laughs> is man it is craisins and it is brown sugar and a craisins? lot of br- a lot of brown sugar so you, you got to cook that sugar down so that it gets kind of you know thick and goopy. Um, and it it, it kind of makes its way into the meatballs as well as the sauce, and it just has it's got the right mix of tang and sweet. Uh, probably not really good for you, but that's okay. It, it tastes really good.
1: Huh. Wow, I I'm equally intrigued by this as I am the the blue cheese meatloaf. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome.
2: I, you know the the first time I knew it was pretty good was my wife had the uh, one of these her. Friends group over, so you get a bunch of cackling ladies over. And normally, I would have thought they'd have kind of turned their noses up at this. But so I've got the crockpot going, and I'm planning on Trapper and I eating these things together. And I come down about 30 minutes late, and I will take the lid off the crockpot, and I'm looking around, and I look my where the hell do all the meatballs go? And she points at all <laughs> of her friends, and I'm like, Oh my god!
1: <laughs> oh, they beat you to it.
2: Yeah, so I thought, well. If those gals think it's pretty good, they must be pretty good.
1: Yeah. Did they uh, Did they know it was a uh, wild game?
2: Uh, only only a couple of them did. It was a pretty good, pretty big group. And so the ones that are close to my wife knew that, yeah, you guys eat nothing but some kind of game in this house. And the other ones had no idea. And they were asking her for the recipe. And I, I was just chuckling a little bit and keeping <laughs> my distance because I didn't want to ruin the surprise for them.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, they're definitely probably wiser for the, for the taste tests, but you never know how some people are going to react.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that's great. Well, thank you both for sharing that. Those, uh, recipes. I'm definitely going to give them a try.
2: Um, those so what's one of your
3: favorite ones?
1: Oh, well, right now, actually, um, I am stuck on, on this, uh, homemade chimichurri I made the other day and I took, uh. It's like a play on an Argentinian steak recipe um, oh, nice. i I, for, I forget the exact name of the of the what it's called in Spanish let's see uh it's called a matatambre and it's essentially like a giant uh rolled steak They use like one solid uh fillet um not fillet. Uh, I guess it'd be like the tenderloin cut down flat and then they roll it and they take like boiled egg and, uh, seasoned red bell peppers and stuff, and then put the chimichurri on the inside and then roll it and tie it all together. So oh. in- instead of the boiled egg, I-, I used, uh, some cheese curds cause that normal, most cheeses are going to melt when you put them on the grill at a high temp. So I, I used the a- cheese carrots because they held a little bit of consistency and then i seasoned uh seasoned up the sliced red peppers really well and then i took uh some some backstrap steaks i had and flattened them out with a meat mallet uh what i used i used four different ones and uh essentially just put the put the cheese carrots and the steak in the middle slathered everything with the chimichurri and then rolled them and tied them with butcher's twine and then uh put them on the grill at about 500 degrees and just uh, get a nice brown on on the outside everything set well on the inside oh oh my gosh that's that's my new uh that's one of my new go-to's and it's just it's super easy super quick uh and i had enough chimichurri left over that i ate with some bread i put back on top of it and and used it for another recipe so it was it was a great a great meal
2: Mm -hmm. nice that's That's amazing
1: but do you
2: you use any kind of a justin any kind of a marinade or any secret you like to uh do to to kind of soak that meat in a little bit or a lot before you tenderized it or did something with it
1: um no not typically uh if i'm gonna be like smoking the meat for a long period uh i may brine it uh and i'll I'll just do different spices kind of with the salt uh beforehand but as far as the marinades, unless I'm doing jerkier stuff, I try to keep it, keep it as, as traditional with the meat as possible just cause I enjoy a lot of the, the flavors themselves. Um, but when I tenderize it now that, that it was just plain, plain Jane, and then I just smoked it a couple of times with the meat mallet and, <laughs> and it was good to go. <laughs> so, and I think, uh, Jake, you had me thinking about some waterfowl stuff. Uh, I put together this this recipe last year for this company. Uh, I think they're called Guide Fitter. And it, it's probably, it turned out to be one of my favorite uh, duck recipes of all time. It's a just a plain seared duck breast. So just the breast, I scored it so it opened up a little bit once I seared it. Got it nice medium rare. And then um, I used a pumpkin cream sauce over gnocchi. And okay. those, those three flavors together, just like the creaminess of the, the gnocchi just kind of not your pasta, but just that different kind of fluffy gnocchi and the creaminess and the sweetness of the pumpkin with the duck breast. It, it, I don't, I don't know. It's still like in my mind, anytime somebody says waterfowl hunting, that's the first <laughs> thing that pops in my mind is that recipe.
3: Nice, man. I've gotten that written down. I'm going to, I'm going to try that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I'll, I'll throw the link to the, the recipe in the show notes. Um, so once, once the podcast comes out, you can click on that and it'll, it'll go straight to it. But if you want to experiment on your own, it's, it's a pretty simple recipe. I use fresh pumpkin though. That's the key. Fresh pumpkin, uh, in, in the fall is the best, uh, October time. You get rid of that extra one left over from, from Halloween or whatever, if it's not too bad looking and, uh, make some nice sauce.
0: So yeah.
4: Uh I've been on a bit of a turkey kick since uh harvesting my turkey. Naturally. So I tried to uh, <laughs> I tried to utilize it you know as much as I could. So I, I did the the Chick fil A nuggets on for one breast. Those those are really good. And then we did a crock pot uh recipe for the other breast. And then the thighs and drumsticks and wings, we I braised down and pulled the meat, and we I did quite a bit. We did turkey taquitos one night. Um, so I took the flour tortillas and I put braised meat in, and then like in the uh, pan I sautéed some onions, peppers, garlic. I think I threw some cilantro in there and rolled those up. You know, a scoop of meat, a scoop of th- the sautéed veggies, and then. To finish it off, I did like a uh, uh, turkey frittata. So I used, I think I th- I forged some some ramps and threw some of those in there and uh, tomatoes and peppers and so that so we we got quite a few meals out of that that turkey and then tonight I we did uh, balls, so it's like. The we we got the Bowdoin from from a family friend, but we made them into meatballs and uh, egg wash, panko, and fried them up. And those 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 always taste really good.
1: I love those. Uh we used to, when I was in college, so I went to college in New Orleans and when we do the crawfish boils we'd throw the boudin balls in the uh, in the crawfish boil after we pulled the crawfish out and everybody was snacking on the table. Whoever was cooking, we'd take a pack of those and throw in there and that was like our little well earned treat. Uh, get a little spicy boudin balls in the, the boil <laughs> water.
2: <laughs> oh. See uh, that's why there's there's such a, a movement uh towards this you know kind of organic uh harvest it yourself understand the ingredients and the inputs into the meat and uh, the satisfaction and, and taste of a you know well curated meal it, I, listening to you guys talk i feel <laughs> like wow it, it's like you guys are uh, seniors in high school and i'm still kind of in the third grade or something <laughs> in terms of my culinary expertise
1: well a lot of a lot of well earned years, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad on my part, but <laughs> um, a lot of cut fingers and burnt hands. Uh, yeah. But I, I think I agree with what you said one hundred percent, and and I'm happy to see the growth of of the movement across the U S. and and it's you know getting people more into hunting of all ages and all ranges, you know, different walks of life. I think it's really good, and I mean, if you look at it in the most traditional sense, people hunted and fished for food, you know, before anything else. So why, why should it not come naturally for us to lean towards that way? So, yeah. Um, well, especially
3: in times like this, uh, yeah, I, I live 20 minutes away from one of the, the nation's largest, uh, packing houses that's been in the news. It's, that's shut down. It's been shut down for a long time now. And just due to the COVID stuff, you know, like many across the, across the nation, so they're already uh, rationing uh, what you can buy at the stores, what you can buy, you know, wherever else. So it's, I think it's going to become more important. A lot more people are probably going to get into uh, hunting and fishing uh, just from that aspect of it. You know, you want to feed your family or do the organic thing, uh, all the above, so...
1: And I, I've already heard it mentioned. A lot of states are are noting record numbers of of fishing license being purchased during this time period, and people getting out. You know, with most states allowing, um, you know, the despite the stay at home orders, recreating and fishing, allowing that aspect, I think has has created more because people are using it as an avenue to get outside and get out of the house in a, a safe manner as well. And I think that's encouraging to people, uh, also, but I I know a lot of the hunters I've seen, you know, throughout social media and, and everybody that sort of hunts for their food is, is voiced a, uh, a sense of security of, of having a freezer full of meat or the ability to be like, look, like, if there truly is a meat shortage or if the packing plants start going down, you know, I have the resources to, you know, continue to feed my family. And I'm sure many of those people, if, if situation got dire, like it, it would start to be, you know, help out your neighbors, help out your friends, your family. Like, you know, if, if things got harsh, I would certainly share my meat around with people if they needed it. Uh, here in Key West, people, a lot of the the commercial fishermen who were out of work, uh, working with some of the local charity groups to uh, provide fish for families in need they would go out and fish for the day then bring it to one of the food pantries and then the food pantry would distribute it to uh, to some of the local families and you know they'd set up groups on Facebook and stuff and it was like look if you if you need food if things are running bad like just text me and I'll drop fish off at your house and just to see little things like that uh, Definitely makes me happy to be part of the outdoor community. To know that that those type of people are are still around and still doing their part in whatever way they can for their communities. Yeah, it's fantastic. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braised tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables, and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. I know there are definitely a lot of fishing opportunities there in in Colorado. Do you guys also get out and fish uh, quite a bit as well?
2: You know, I I don't. Uh, I used to I used to fish a lot. I used to tie quite a bit. Uh, I had a couple of drift boats kind of younger uh, earlier on in life. And uh, I just took the, the boys enough when they were young to kind of give them a taste of it. And we had a ball, and uh, they they still do it now without me. But I guess it's kind of sad to say it, sometimes you get to a point and you, you need to specialize a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I kind of specialize now into doing the big game thing. And when when the weather is – different say this time of year when you might be thinking of uh, a pale morning done or something like that in in the state of Colorado and you start thinking about these hatches occurring and seasonally and geez that's that's what I'm kind of running up to the mountains to to be scouting and doing that kind of stuff you know the snow is receding a little bit and so I don't much anymore but uh, well sure eat the heck out of fish I love seafood and that's that's one of the downsides to living right smack dab in the <laughs> middle of the country. There's not a lot yep. of
1: good seafood here. That's uh, true. I don't think I had good seafood until I moved away f- from home. uh not known for our seafood in Oklahoma either. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Growing up spending some time on the Gulf Coast, I got to, to dabble in it. But uh, definitely in, in Louisiana, man, there's nothing like it. And, uh, yeah, I, I've definitely grown to, to love it. And that's, I think, one thing that's come out of uh, the COVID-19 time period is, is me spending a lot more time fishing with my daughter. And then there's a group of about four of us that have uh, gotten more into spear spearfishing. Uh, so we've been going out. Uh, a couple of the guys has a boat, have a boat. And then uh, we just go kind of, we have areas just right around our house uh, near the water that, that we'll go and, and hit regularly, too.
2: Do you guys dive when you do that, or are you snorkeling?
1: Uh, we're so free diving, so pretty okay. much just snorkeling and then going down. I mean, we're the deepest we're going is maybe like thirty feet. Uh, try to stay like fairly shallow. So.
2: and that sounds super deep to me. <laughs> <It's>,
4: <laughs> yeah, it uh, sounds <laughs> deep to almost. me too.
1: Uh, some of those guys, like the the more professionals, are going you know 100, 150 feet down. I I wouldn't Jeez. ever feel comfortable with that. I get a little a little nerve wracked now, being the novice that I am. at, it, it you know 15, 20 feet, you start to feel the pressure in your ears, and you're like, okay, weird things are happening in my body, uh, and I gotta sit down here and find the fish that I want to shoot as well. So um, I definitely prefer. I think like the 10 to 15 foot range is, is, is my comfort level right now.
2: Hmm. I always said that for me, if I, if I couldn't hunt anymore, if something happened that I would be, I would be diving and spearfishing just like a maniac.
1: It's just, it's so neat because it's, it's the hunting equivalent in Key West. I mean, you can go out on the boat and sit there and throw your rod over into the water and hopefully catch something, or you can jump in the water and swim around and you're like, all right, there's no fish here, or I scared all the fish away, or I move on to the next and you're like, all right, I need to spot and stalk this fish that I see and get in a good position. And you start, you know, you start using all the elements you would on land in the water. And it's definitely grown appealing to me uh, over the past few months, I would say.
2: Do you have any like uh, barracuda or some other kind of maybe shark type story or scare that you had?
1: Well, so funny you asked that. Just the other day, <laughs> <laughs> um, we were we were out uh, we were on a, a ledge. So the the far side of the ledge, the water probably dropped around mm, twelve feet, and on the the near side of where the ledge was, it was probably only like five or six feet deep. Um, but we had been there for about an hour and we had fished up and down the ledge and the snapper had moved from the deeper water where they would feed in the morning into the shallows where the grass was. And they they would hang out there during the day uh, and just kind of do whatever snapper do. But in throughout that, we're cruising the ledge kind of scaring fish off and bumping fish and, and shooting them as, as they would come up that were of regulation size and, One, two, we, we go in pairs, uh, just to kind of keep accountability and we, me and, uh, Colin, who's normally on the podcast with us as well, uh, hear Dustin yell something and we kind of like look up from the water and he's kind of got his head back in the water. He's probably like 10, 15 yards from us. We didn't hear anything. Sounded like he said shark, but (laughs) you know, you don't want to put that in your mind at the time. So... After a few seconds, I was like, "Hey, Dustin, like, what was that?" He's like, "Oh, there was a, there's a couple sharks headed towards you." And I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah, they're, you know, like three, four, five feet." I was like, "Okay." So, we kind of you start to pay a little attention more, and they were in the deeper water where the ledge was, and we were like swimming along, and then all of a sudden, Dustin shoots a fish. And he shoots it, and his spear goes through it, but the, the flopper, which is the part that drops down, doesn't uh, deploy, so the fish pops off. So I had a, a, a pole spear with uh, three prongs on it, so I went ahead and hit the fish too because I saw it within a, a short distance. And here I'm thinking like, okay, he's just said the sharks are over there. They're somewhere, I'm sure, and here I am with this hogfish on the end of my pole spear. So I'm like, yeah, exactly. Um, So I actually see them at a distance. Uh, There's two of them. We kind of had the debate whether they were uh, black tip tip sharks or reef sharks. And then through later, we learned that they're reef sharks because they're more common in shallow water. They travel kind of in what they call a pack. But anyway, they, they didn't mess with us, but... In that same instance, a uh, fish and wildlife boat comes up, and I happen to look up and they're like, Hey guys, you catching anything? And it's lo and behold, it's uh, one guy that I used to work with, retired, is working the boat. And then one of my friends that I played rugby with back a couple years ago is the other officer on the boat. So they're sitting there chit chatting, like I'm floating in the water uh, along with the other guys with a fish on and the sharker. Sharks are in between us and the other boat and, uh, where our boat is. And so we are conversing with them and he's like, well, you know, uh, how, you know, what are you guys up to? What are you catching anything? I'm like, yeah, you know, we are, uh, but we're just trying to get fish back to the boat cause there's a couple sharks over there. And then right as that happens, one of the sharks hit the top of the water behind their boat and they're like, Oh, what was that? I was like, that was probably one of the sharks. I was like, I'd love to sit and chat with you guys, but I want to get back <laughs> on the boat now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it uh, they hung out for a little while and made sure we got back to the boat safely. But, yeah, that was probably like a 10, 15-yard swim from where we were to the boat, and it's like you just get kind of nervous. I don't know. They In retrospect, they're going to be more interested in the fish and, it, like, safely handling it. You know, fingers crossed, nothing's going to happen, but it definitely, uh, it definitely will startle you, let's say the least. (laughs) Uh, Jake, how about yourself? Do you get, uh, into much fishing?
3: Uh, trying to get away from the the lake fishing so much here in state. Want to, want to hit more, uh, the rivers that we have here. It's kind of like, um, Browns naturally populate in the Big Thompson that's not too far away. Uh, get up in the, the pooter outside of Fort Collins, so that's what I'd like to do more of. Get off the lakes.
1: Nice. Yeah, I that's always, uh,
4: What are you catching in the lakes?
3: <laughs> stuff you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always love to, to make a trip up into Wyoming. You know, that's that's where the catching is, so...
1: We had our, our first year, we went up to Wyoming, uh, we fished, well, go back, the very first time I was up in Wyoming, we fished on the Shoshone, I think, coming mm-hmm. out of Yellowstone over by Cody, Yeah, and yeah. Uh, oh, nice. it was like June time, and we went to go re- went, uh, rent some waders from the local fly shop, and he's like, oh, you don't need waders, it's June, and I was like, okay, man, we got up there to wade out in that water in shorts, and like... <laughs> shoes and it was probably 40 degrees in the water i was like you know what that guy's out of his mind <laughs> but uh that's
3: something it, yeah always you know kind of growing up here in the Col- in Colorado and in the mountains man you know, always uh when you go out there take warm or warm weather or winter gear because invariably july you know i've i've seen it snow up there camping so that's great waters like one degree above freezing in August, so yeah. I know what yeah.
1: you're going
2: through on that one.
1: In most of the South, it's like bathtub water everywhere you go, so you don't even think about <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> and watch I mean, that. Uh, the the rules, the regulations that they have in some of the other states, and Wyoming is one of them, and I'm sure I'm not going to be 100% accurate here, but the areas where, where I grew up, kind of in the coast range, as a kid, what was considered public versus private when it came to things like the high water line on a bank or, you know, the stream bottom, it's different from state to state to state. So you said the Shoshone and I've, I've fished the Shoshone and the last time I was there uh, made that mistake of ownership. And so thought I was kind of in a public spot, but turns out like halfway across the river bottom was private land the landowner lived on the kind of the, let's say the far side of the bank and so I'm wading both sides of the bank and just trying to hit every little you know pocket and back eddy I can find and you know that son of a gun he fired a couple of shots over my head and then he he said some nasty things to me from a distance so cool. when I got home I wondered well, why is this guy so bent out of shape and got to looking and uh, reading and then asking somebody's the, just the moral of the story was just when you're going out of state know those land ownership boundaries because uh you know you get to other parts of the country they still they'll kind of shoot at you or they'll do nasty things so make sure you know what you're doing when you go there
1: i think yeah that's a very important point to bring up um i was fishing so my wife's originally from north carolina and none of her family really fishes or, or hunts They're They're all very curious about it now as the years have gone by and they've seen sort of uh, my career grow, but they uh, are like, okay, yep, there's a stream over there and just, you know, just go hop in it and just fish. We've heard there's trout there. And I'm like, I'm not really sure that that's how it works, but <laughs> um, after some research on my own and, and a couple phone calls to some friends, I, I found some spots and some, Uh, did a quick learn. And I I think a lot of the, a lot of the wildlife agencies are are getting better about being more, uh, clear on those sort of rules, especially for non-residents coming in and fishing. They don't want to, it's, it's better not to have upset landowners and fearful, uh, visitors.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now sort of looking, I'm going to talk a little bit about Allen company, um, definitely curious to learn more from, from the inside scoop. Um, can you guys tell me a little bit about the, the roots and history of, of Allen company?
2: Sure. Sure. So, uh, in, uh, 1970, the company was started and, uh, by a, uh, young man at that time and, uh, was he and someone else and they, Kind of by accident got into sewing, manufacturing, and making gun cases. And uh, it turned out the core business they kind of thought they were going to start out in didn't quite work out the way that they thought, but the gun case business was really big. And so the company kind of shifted, pivoted a little bit into specializing in making those gun cases. And then uh, Believe it or not, that young guy, uh, some 50 years later is still the owner of the company and it's a it's a family owned company, which is pretty rare in today's day and age and it's even more rare within our industry. Um, over over that course of time, you know, I'd say we went about uh, maybe 30 years. Uh, before we started branching out and other things that were kind of non-soft goods based cut so products, uh, things like shooting rests or maybe eye and ear protection, different accessory based products. And so our product line when we started and for those first at least kind of three decades, pretty narrow and very case-based product and then slowly broadened out and broadened out and broadened out until today, uh, these 50, some years later, we, you know, about 1,200 items in our catalog at any one time, and uh, it, anywhere from 11 to 15 different product categories. Things from those gun cases that we started making out to shooting accessories, you know, to archery accessories, tactical gear, stuff like that. Even a lot of fishing products, uh, soft goods-based stuff, uh, you know, soft storage, and waders and wading boots and stuff like that. So super super broad today from a an outdoor product line perspective and we also have a couple of offshoots as well that are that are into other categories but uh, i keep bringing this 50 year thing up because this year 2020 is our 50 year anniversary celebration so oh wow congrats
1: that's yeah. awesome
2: so it's uh it's really a neat thing to be part of it's neat to see the original owner still there marching up and down the hallway and you know telling telling you what's right and what's wrong and uh, (laughs) his family being a, a big part of the company and to coincide with that we've just we've gotten bigger gotten bigger gotten bigger gotten bigger and we've at one point at least out a lot of really large warehouse buildings around us and now just within about a week to two weeks time we're getting ready to make our official move into a brand new corporate headquarters. It's about five minutes up the road from us, but uh, very, very impressive looking building. Um, very, very beautiful from the outside, a lot of natural lighting and stuff like that. And from an operational standpoint, allow us to be more efficient in terms of, you know, kind of your streamlining your um, your your raw materials and work in process inventory and, and storage and uh, just your whole pick pack ship operation. So it gives us a nice platform to kind of scale into other other business segments and add more staffing as well so it's for the company it's it's funny this is really a uh, important time and really kind of a, a time for celebration and to have a little bit of pride in what you're doing and, and how you've been doing it for all these years
4: when, when i tell people about Allen company that they, they you know a lot of times they're not sure who i'm talking about but i always say i bet you have something made by them in, in your gear because. If you go to Walmart or and there's a local uh, like a regional chain here called Dunham's or you know there there's just tons of Allen stuff in there and I'm sure just about everybody has something that that's made made by Allen. I have you know the cartridge holders that go on the stock of your gun, of the slings, the you know all kinds of different things that that even before I was associated with Allen that that I already had. Yeah.
2: Well, and thank you for that, Corey. It's a it's kind of it's a unique situation. It's and it's not the way you would hear it in uh, your graduate business school where the the brand has just we've been so quiet and so under the radar for so so long that we're we're not gonna have a much at all when it comes to kind of unaided awareness. you know, if you ask your buddies or a family member Uh, acquaintance you run into they might give you kind of a funny look and sometimes they'll say yeah I, I might have a gun case from those guys I think it's not like saying some of the other household names but what what is very unique and strong for us is that in terms of penetration in the different markets and distribution around different segments of the market we're everywhere, and you you mentioned the, the kind of from the largest of the large in terms of chain stores to the smallest of the small, hole-in-the-wall independent. Uh, you know whether they buy group, non-buy group, dealer-based uh, shooting accessory store. Our stuff is it is everywhere. It's just in varying ways and in varying assortments. So you might not have heard of us, but boy, you've seen us so many times, you just don't know it. And you probably do have a bit of our stuff. So uh, it's, it's really kind of an interesting dynamic. And it's one of the things as we kind of have been here 50 years and we ponder the next 50 years and look into the future is to ask ourselves, is that the right way forever? And so we're making a little bit of a, a conscious shift to try to smartly and strategically keep the Allen name and brand in certain category segments where it belongs forever, like let's say gun cases. But when it comes to maybe something, let's say in tactical gear uh, or maybe archery, you know, does it deserve kind of a sub-brand that has a name and identity that was made specifically to address that customer type in that segment? And so this last year, we introduced a large stable of brands to do just that. So there are things that are, you know, there's Tac6 by Allen, there's uh, Pulse by Allen, there's uh, things like Vanish by Allen. These things that address camel concealment, tactical gear, uh, maybe a super special broadhead or some kind of a unique family of releases. And so we're, our hopes in doing that is that we kind of get the best of both worlds where the trade Knows and trusts us for our operational success and history over the last 50 years, and that okay, you guys offer us a great deal, it's a great margin, and you satisfy our orders. You know, you you ship and and uh, fulfill our orders really well. So we know you and trust you from that standpoint. But oh, you've got something kind of new and interesting to sell me. I'm always looking for new and interesting. So we're able to kind of balance the the best of uh, both of those worlds, and and those new launches. I think it really surprised us that there are more, more, than, uh, more than not they've been really successful just because it's, it's, a, it's a reinvigoration. It's a new energy into products and categories you were already doing business in, but it's a little new and different. And so we're trying to work our way through that smartly so that as we look, like I say, into the future, we're poised to still stand for those things we've always stood for but also make sure we're giving you something that's kind of neat and interesting and has a bit of a story and a little juice behind it when you see it at retail or if you're the buyer across the table and you're having to sell this product into them. So it's uh, there are a lot of, you know, I, I would say uh, really pivotal things that have happened and that are happening with us as a company, and it, it is an exciting time for us.
1: I think as, as the consumer that's, that's a, a great thing to hear because, you know, we know to come and trust Allen products and use them frequently. And then you say, all right, we're going to feed you a little bit of new stuff. So automatically that trust as you mentioned is there because I know, all right, same quality, you know, same engineering, same availability. But now we've got some new stuff coming out, and it's it's immediately going to pique my interest to whatever it is. is It's like, all right, well, I'm I need to add that. I may not need it, but I want it, and if I want it, now <laughs> I need it.
2: <laughs> so sure, sure.
1: So with that, what so what are some hot items of 2020 that you you may have coming down the way, or that are already out that that we should be wanting?
2: Well, we we have a lot. I would say the. The big things for us this year, uh, aside from those, the brand launches were successful and those are, those are identities Uh, from an item or an assortment standpoint. We introduced some things like, um, you know, we expanded significantly into our target program. So we are, we were fairly new into into the target category uh, started out dabbled a little bit with our big toe in the water with paper targets and, and then flaking targets shortly thereafter that went really well but we found that one of the things that was limiting us with uh, you know a strong relationship and kind of deeper better broader penetration with our direct trade accounts was more types of targets and so uh this last year we geez, we blew it out by a factor of five so a heck of a lot more uh, re- reflective flaking targets, adhesive flaking targets, uh, a lot more is the self-healing category. We blew that way out. And then we also really specialized in the, the steel category. So steel has gotten to be a big deal. And um, what is helping push drive that back to these new persons in the market, we have you know this this long distance phenomenon is a big deal. Mm-hmm. this precision phenomenon and whether you there are probably some old older dudes out there that don't like the idea of the way it's done and how it's done sometimes but it it's a new wave and it's and it is popular and so you know when you're shooting that kind of a target at distance uh pretty darn difficult to see a flaking hole even with the best of spotters these past 300 yards you know you start to struggle seeing mm-hmm. that but yep. you you get that positive reinforcement with steel that does that really cool <laughs> ping, uh, at a distance and so steel targets uh, in shooting in itself uh, in all different disciplines from rent fire through handgun to the long gun thing it is it is popular today and gaining more speed day by day by day so with us blowing out that category, it's really been great timing for us. And one of the things that's helped move that all along is this uh, custom target stand system kind of concept where we let the consumer kind of choose what they would like. Hey, here is, we'll, we, we sell you the base leg kit and kind of hanging platform with uh, a limited series of, let's say we give you one steel gong and it's maybe it's a retail deal of 79 to 99 bucks but that's the platform you can build from. And so we sell into these other chain and online accounts, these additional brackets and uh, call it, uh, you know, holding accessories to hold different kinds of target holding paraphernalia so that maybe I'm shooting the heck out. I started out just shooting steel on the bottom. Well, now my son or my daughter is coming to the range with me and maybe they're packing around a, it's an air rifle, it's rimfire, um, it's some 243. it's something that's smaller, and they love the steel, but they also, maybe they want to try the self-healer or something like that and shoot something that gives them some movement, but um, isn't quite so expensive. And oh yeah, my wife loves to shoot her favorite, whatever it is, and so we have a um, paper target holding system that mounts to the top of it. So i have paper going on top i got swingers next to it on top and then i've got steel below it and maybe a self-healer below it and i'm throwing out throwable targets and it's just the the idea is to let the consumer purchase that and scale on it to shoot all kinds of different things but different things that they get to choose and decide what suits their needs rather than us kind of shoving down their throat a standardized target format so that's, that was a real big one, and then we also we had our, uh, we turned over our entire shooting stick platform, and, and the, the biggest uh, product within that whole effort was what we call our easy stick, and it is, uh, you know, it's a button assist uh, push and immediate you know, drop, elevate kind of uh, stick, similar to if you've, if you've seen a, uh, like a trigger stick out there on the market, that's mm-hmm. a great, great product. But this Easy Stick is a great product in its own right, and it it tends to sell for about thirty or forty percent less at retail than a trigger stick does. So um, those those two areas for us in twenty twenty in terms of product merit uh, were were really two really really big things. And and like I say, the, the target the target category has surprised us; it's as big as it is.
1: People people definitely enjoy shooting. I know Corey probably would have enjoyed patterning his shotgun and earlier turkey hunting.
2: <laughs> Boy, he's letting you have it, Corey, because I heard it on that, that last podcast. <laughs> I,
4: I deserve it. I deserve it. And, and you're talking about the the spinning targets. My daughter's just getting old enough to where I'm having her shoot the twenty two and she likes. You know, we don't we don't go very far out, but she likes those those little spinning spinning targets she can see that she hits and she gets all excited when she when she uh, hits those spinning targets so yeah that's definitely a, a fun way to, to shoot and get kids kids more interested in shooting when you get the positive feedback with the spinning targets
2: yeah yeah and it's great you know those kinds of different products are fantastic for new entrants whether they are uh, adults or youth and uh, I don't you know it's one of the one of the neatest memories I have as our kids were growing up is just seeing that little goofy grin on their face when they're shooting something, they're enjoying themselves, and they're hitting the target downrange. And to them, you know, that's just the greatest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, as a parent, you could care less. As long as they're happy and they're digging it, It's that's all that matters. And it, it kind of makes you a little giddy when you see that happen.
1: The up-and-coming sort of hunt for your food trend and, and the growing interest there, how do you see... Alan jumping into that market to sort of grab those grab those consumers I mean maybe not kitchen specific items or you know be it but uh, what thoughts have you towards that
2: you know it's one of those deals where I guess you'd say you know we just need to let them know that uh, hey y'all we're open for business we we sell so many of those staple based products today from um we're we're really broad in hunting cuticle, cutlery things that are replaceable knives you know bone saws uh, you know, zip skin and knives stuff like that uh, little combo uh you know gut hook folder kits stuff like that to game prep uh game bags all those kinds of things in terms of products that are directly associated to that and then from a product standpoint you think about those staple things that you might not give a lot of thought to, but that you use a heck of a lot, and you mentioned one of them earlier, a, a shell holder that I put on the stock of my rifle, uh, maybe it's some shooting sticks, maybe it's a bipod, maybe it's uh, the gun case I put my gun in, maybe it's the bino harness I take with me all the time out into the field. So from a product standpoint, we, we really got you covered from a positioning standpoint, we are we are perfect for the mid to new user because our, our, our deal, our tenant is value. And so that's a lot of times when you say the word Allen to people, they, they had one word to describe us. And we find this in focus groups and stuff like that is that value always comes out over and over time. And again, it's, the, it's this tenant of the brand that people associate with us. And so that is really good for people that are just kind of laddering up, starting their way into things. Think about it, if you started, when you started fishing, or uh, Corey, when you started hunting or something like that, when you were younger, a lot of times you're not jumping out and buying, um, you might not get a Matthews bow right off the bat, or you might, or you might not get a Christensen Arms rifle off the bat, you know, you might, but a lot more people don't than do, is you kind of dabble a little bit, you look at, entry level or slightly up to mid price points and you're searching for value. You want to find something. If I spend money on it, it's going to work. It's going to do what I want and I'm not feeling like I spent a ton just to get this thing. And so all those things from a product standpoint and a, a breadth of category standpoint, we're just right there. What I would say, Where we need to do better, where we need to to do our work is getting that message out uh, in a laser focused manner to certain people in a certain way, uh, you know, via different social and digital platforms so that there are people, you know, like your guys' podcast, um, there are other digital areas. People go to learn, to seek, to get information um, or to just hear good, interesting stuff. And we need to be targeting those areas and then making sure we're getting that area, the message we want to give them and then just pound it over and over and over. So from a social standpoint, we're doing some things. uh, We've gotten a lot better. We're doing some good things now, uh, but we, you know, we have a lot of good things going for us and, and that's where we, we need to get a little bit better is just utilizing the power of social and digital to reach the right people in the way that that we want to reach them and i you know i'm because i'm one of the marketing guys i i'm sorry those are the things i mean that keep you up at night you think about this all night every night and you have a bit of a passion for so i it comes out a little bit when i get get to talking about it
1: no it's good I, i i think it's it's certainly something to to lean forward and think about because especially the way the sport's evolving and and communications within the sport, you know, outside social media and and other apps, you get things like the app Go Wild and and all those other platforms where people are sharing experiences and making recommendations on gear and and things like that. And it's like it's important to monitor and and it's something to pay attention to because things change and evolve consistently uh, each day.
4: And, and you're talking about value and even if before I was associated with Alan and even if I wasn't, Alan would most likely be the, the gear that I would be buying because as a, as a single income family of five, I need to make sure, you know, the money that I spend is, is well utilized and I've, everything that I've gotten from Alan has always been what I expected. And it's always, you know, it's in the right price point for me. So I, I think you, I think value is, is really a, an apt term for, for Allen's stuff.
1: And just, you mentioned game bags, and it just made me realize I have two sets of uh, Allen game bags downstairs in my, my uh, big game kit. <laughs> I just realized that just into what Corey said. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs>
2: well, thank so, you very much. I, I hope that you're enjoying those greatly.
1: I am. They performed, uh, the, the couple that I used last year performed exceptionally well, and, and I expect the others will do the same also. So, uh where can what is a good way for people to connect with you? Social media, website, all that information.
2: Yeah, Jake, you want to serve that one up?
3: Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely on all the normal channels, Facebook, Instagram, uh Allen Outdoors is uh you can find us there. Pinterest, uh if that's your thing too, and then uh com is uh web address and here shortly we'll be having a brand new website coming out so look forward to that
1: oh that's exciting another big move at the the 50 year mark new yep. website that'll be great
2: yeah and when when that does you guys uh, make sure and send Jake thank you cards for that because he, he has been very instrumental in making that happen so we're, we're really excited about that
1: absolutely awesome um, well gentlemen do you have a uh, Jake, do you have any other uh, alibis or last thoughts for us? Uh,
3: oh goodness, man! We talked about so many different things here. You know, I, I, for the the new hunters in, out there, uh, and anglers, you know, definitely do some research on game processing and cooking. Uh, I know we touched touched a little bit upon this, but uh, yeah, find some good recipes, and that'll really when you knock it out of the park uh that'll get you get you going and wanting to hunt next season next season so um i think that's kind of the the takeaway is just get your gear get your license get your animal and then uh knock it out of the park with with the, the food so
1: well said lee do you have anything uh last thoughts
2: well <clears throat> yes i do <laughs> i'm gonna use a use a bit of a strange one here so i don't remember who said this, but uh, there is a a saying in terms of personal love that it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And so I would challenge everybody out there in the audience to not let the fear of the unknown stand in your way from starting something, whether it's learning learning to shoot, or it's kind of a self-defense thing, or it's, hey, I've always wanted to hunt out west but i've been afraid to try you know take those excuses uh and just throw that stuff in the trash can and just go for it it's it's worth trying and uh you know even if you do uh, have a mishap a failure you don't fill a tag something happens it's still an adventure it's still something that is enriching in your life and it is worth the pursuit so don't let those things stand in your way. Get out there, try something new, and, and go for it. And hopefully we have nice information to help you get there, uh, learn some things, or certainly listening to your guys' podcast. They can pick up a lot of uh, good lessons and, and pieces of knowledge. So get out there and, and go for it. It's fun.
1: Thank you. That was well said. Corey, uh, last thoughts?
4: Yeah, I'd I... Just want to thank Jake and Lee for coming on to, tonight, and then I, I I also want to thank Allen Company as a whole for uh, uh, donating uh, a gear package to each of the veterans for our our veterans hunt uh, pheasant hunt. It was supposed to be in March, but because of all of this COVID stuff, we had to uh, push that back. But we did come up with a new date for the hunt. It's, it's we're going to hold it on September 12th. So I'm I'm really looking forward to the hunt and seeing seeing the veterans' faces when they realize they get you know the 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 package that they're getting from Allen, which which I can't thank you guys enough for that. It, it was amazing. It's really going to make make this a uh, a special event.
3: Yeah, thank yeah, you. you. We're glad to help out and you know,
2: yeah, and support uh, the cause a every very, year. Uh sorry Jake, certainly a very worthwhile event organization and uh group of people <clears throat> and if I could this just happened so I'm gonna shout this one out there our youngest son uh, just finished up his first year at CSU here but he uh, heads off to basic early in the month of August so uh, I just wanted to let him know that his his boss real proud of him and um, we wish him well
1: that's awesome congrats yeah. to that's you great. sir um, uh, my last thoughts, I'm, I'm really, uh, glad you guys could hop on with us, uh, this evening and chat. I think we've had some good conversations. We, we dabbled in a, a good amount of topics and, uh, even managed to talk a little bit of food, which is always exciting to me. I'm going <laughs> to have to give that, uh, the meatloaf and the meatball recipe, a, a go here very soon. So thank you both for that information. And, um, Otherwise, just for everybody out there, um, go uh, go give the Allen Company a good look over their website, uh, the current one and the new one. Uh, follow, give them a follow on social media, but also check us out as well. If you're not following us, uh, Harvest to Nature on all the platforms and and uh, whatever podcast platform you listen to give us a a good rating there let us know what we're doing wrong let us know what we're doing right and if you have any questions you can always send us an email at what's cooking at com. well thank you all for listening and have a good night
0: through the blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp,
1: alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it
0: all.
2: This is Duck Camp Dinner.
0: Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.